Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 98. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher at Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode of Life of the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they get in the classroom, what are they currently working on, and what are their hopes for the future. This episode, I sit down with Anu Dishpande. Anu is a science teacher at St. Mary's High School in Portland, Oregon, where she teaches biology and chemistry. Before moving to Oregon, Anu taught at Westboro High School in Westboro, Massachusetts. At Westboro, Anu was both the school's science fair club and science ed- Olympiad advisor. While in Massachusetts, Anu was an active member of the Emgen Biotech Experience community, as well as being a member of the teacher development team for Lab Exchange. You can follow Anu on Twitter at Anu Open Skies. Welcome, Anu. Thank you. Thank you. Good to good to chat with you, Aaron. Yeah, it's been it's yeah. been a few years. I know. Yes, it's uh, yeah. It's been a few years. I I left Massachusetts about uh, two and a half years ago, rather suddenly, mm-hmm. and um, spent the first year in Portland, just kind of settling down, buying a house, and you know everything that people do, and trying to find a job, which I did, fortunately. <laughs> uh, a, a little different scenario, but um, I got to teach biology and chemistry, so that was good. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I remember being so. Um, a friend of mine actually texted me a screenshot of the the video of the two of us up on Lab Exchange. Um, <laughs> yes. yes, she was doing she was doing she was doing distance learning with her kids and was doing some a biotech unit with her AP kids, and she was like putting it together. And she's like, "Oh, a uh-huh. video on what is a plasmid?" And she sent, yes. sent me the te- she texted me the link and the and a, and a screenshot of it. And it was the two of us talking about what a plasmid is. Uh, yep, yep, yep. I do remember that. In fact, uh, funnily enough, I did use one of those sequences in Lab Exchange myself because you know with AP. Uh, kids we went online mm-hmm. and I had like one of the kids uh, specifically called me on a Friday evening saying do you have a minute I need to talk to you and I get on to WebEx and I'm like what happened and a very good student at that and all she wanted to say was I saw your video and like, oh, really Lenny that you gave me a scare like what happened you know? but, uh, it's yeah, that was uh, lab exchange is good stuff. I'd really miss that part of being on the East Coast. Absolutely, just yeah. being, yeah, it's different. It's such, it's such a special like it's such a special group. Um, even um, I, I'll, well, I'll have to message you next time we're we're doing a group because we've been doing um, uh, our video calls every couple of weeks. I think we've done like two or three of them. Um, we're just like a group. So some of the, you know, the Amgen folks from New England have just got on a video call like at like four o'clock in the afternoon just to like, just to oh. say hi. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I would love to join in, you know, because uh, I mean, I uh, during school days, it's kind of hard because of the time difference. But yeah. if you plan something in the summer, just send me a quick message and I could just pop in and say hello to everyone. That'd be great. Yeah, uh, nice. I'm going to make a note for myself to to send your contact to, to Alia 
so that um <laughs> yes because <laughs> because as as you know alia runs the world so um, yes alia runs uh, the world oh i i miss alia oh i miss alia <laughs> Yeah, so so she's she's been sort of uh, sort of checking in on us, <laughs> making sure that we're all doing okay. You know, uh, mother heading us quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I'll make sure that I send her your uh, your email yes. so that yes. you know, she gets she gets you on those if we do any of those. I'm not sure what she's planning for the summer, but um, okay, I, I, you would yeah. uh, you'd be a welcome face to to join the group. Absolutely, sure. yeah, it'll be just so much fun to see everyone. And actually, um, just recently, I received an email from uh, um, the outreach people regarding outreach for next year and. Um, I mean, the coming year or whatever. And uh, the best, I think that's the best thing I've got out of quarantine. I can now attend the outreach because it's going to be all online. <laughs> so that'll be really nice. I really missed that for the past two years, uh, yeah. not being there. But yeah, that should be, that should be fun. Yeah, I'm sure. Yep. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure what the next year comes out. As we're as we're recording this, it is uh, the very middle of June. Um, it's actually my. Yeah. <laughs> I was joking with my wife. It's our it's our twentieth wedding anniversary. Um, oh, that kind of sn- snuck up on us. That's great! Happy anniversary! Twenty years! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's a huge one. Yep. We we were joking a few weeks ago that like. You know, you know, we had, we always talk cause you know, we went away for our, you know, our, our, when we got married and then we went away at our tent, just the two of us. Um, and we had originally sort of had a conversation about whether we would go anywhere and that sort of evaporated this spring. So, uh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I know. Yeah. So we celebrated by her, uh, going into work, uh, all by herself because she works in a biotech company and they have like rules and they, it's only one person goes in yeah. at a time to do things and I graded AP exams. So, um, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> how, how, how are those looking by the way? Oh, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, perhaps I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put it in the spot. No, no I mean, I can talk in, I, I'm smart enough to talk in the broad platitudes about it, um, about the experience. So the, the, the one thing that you're, that I'm missing, and I think everybody who's not in Kansas city is missing is the, the community and camaraderie you get from like descending on Kansas city and hanging out together, um, and yeah. together and that sort of thing. And, uh, the the read is always a very rejuvenating thing. So this is I've only been doing it for a few years, but it, it's something that really recharges me at the end of the school year and gets me like amped up to do work over the summer. Uh, wow. wow! And so so that's how I feel about it. It's like that and NABT, which is in November, are the right. two sort of recharge moments I get where I come to a place where like a bunch of like passionate biology teachers are and yes. we chat and we meet. And like, they just, it's energizing. You like get, you leave feeling a sense of like, they help like reconnect you to your like mission and vision. Like, oh yeah, there's all yeah. of these things that I love about what I do. And yeah. there's all these other people who love what I do too. And you get that sense. So um, not being in the same room with those people and, you know, having snacks and eating meals and um, that yeah. that's, that's sorely, sorely missed this year. Um, and so Wow. that that's the part that's that's not going to be rekindled but the the insight you get from reading you know uh-huh. here we are a couple of days in i've read i've read 400 student responses to <laughs> a very complicated prompt um wow. you know not not including all the training stuff yeah. that i read so right. but i've read over, over 400 responses to you know Ooh. a fairly complicated biological system and prompt that use yeah task verbs 
that really like that asks for things and and I get to read students interpretation of that language uh-huh. and yeah. it, it's so enlightening because I have students like you know, obviously there's an enormous diversity and I teach in a very privileged, strong school yeah. and I, I have really strong kids that come in. But even sure. with that said, I I see a lot of my own students' responses yeah. and you start to think, if I was to have gotten this response in the middle of the year, uh-huh. how could I have provided feedback to help a student gain insight to not make yeah. this mistake? Yes. That, and, that Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the thing that you just I like it, it's it's such a boot camp on the way kids think that yeah. uh, that I I'm glad I'm doing it for that reason um, because I do right. feel like it's going to power me as I you know set forward to prep work for next year I will have yeah. the words of these students in my head as I as I go forward. Right, right. I uh, I am. Um... And not thinking, I will be applying to to become a reader because I've uh, in AP Bio, um, but I I don't know it, it. You need to have at least two or three years under your belt. But I'm still going to go ahead and put my name in the hat because uh, exactly for the reasons that you just said is you really get to get inside the kids' heads. And that's so important because sometimes during the year when you're in a classroom and when you're teaching, um, those little nuances just get missed out, you know, in the hurry-burry of the classroom, the big class. And um, it's um, it's nice. Uh, I mean, and, and I think summer is the best time for teachers to really pause and go and to have something like this at the start of summer. So it really gives a direction to your reflection. Um that's uh, yes. I'm. I'm. I will be putting my name in that hat this summer. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully something will come out of it next year. Yeah. yeah. Well, and hopefully you know. Hopefully that you know when we get through next winter, they'll the read will be in person <laughs> next year. Yeah. Uh, that, yes. That's, that's the very optimistic. Yeah. That's All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm the eternal optimist. I. I. You know. <laughs> I have some very politically incorrect opinions about, but we leave that be. <laughs> Not well, for public consumption. Yeah. Well, like once I get like as as always when I get somebody on who's known me for a while and has known me outside my podcast and I get you on, you have totally derailed me that we have recorded for more than ten minutes here and I have not gotten to any questions. <laughs> so I am going to try to I'm going to try to steer us okay. in and actually get us into at least one or two of the questions I prepped for you. Okay. Um, and I do not know really the answers to the first couple we, we talked a little bit once we get into the middle of this about what was going on this year but um i don't know my first couple of questions and i can remember uh i can remember working together and just starting to get to know each other when we were in that weird lab exchange where i don't think yeah. anybody in the room knew what we were doing but we had <laughs> this great time yeah, yeah made it happen <laughs> yeah. But but uh, but I didn't get a lot of these answers. So uh, I'm gonna start with the question I like to start with everybody, which is, how did you become a science teacher? What led you into the classroom? Um, so uh, I have a, I, I'm kind of like a gypsy. I like to characterize myself as a gypsy. Uh, the only thing that never left my life was science. Um, I sort of um, uh, when I came to this country first. I came here to uh, work on a postdoc 
as a postdoc. I had mm-hmm. finished my PhD. Um, my work in India had been biochemistry, protein purification, you know, the, the thing that was always done in the, or, you know, the early 90s. And um, I came here for my postdoc, um, worked in a lab in uh, uh, Boston at the BU Medical Center. Uh, it was a very enlightening experience, but also I, I realized that uh, Although I liked science a lot and I enjoyed my research, I really did, um, I was uh, yearning for people. Um, This was early 90s. Research was kind of uh, a lonely place to be. And um, I don't know, I decided I wanted to teach. And um, I sort of started taking classes and... uh, uh, I was, uh, I think the the big uh, uh, stimulation for me over there was that the classes were in the evening, so I could finish my lab work and then just cross over from to the other side of the city and take a few classes. And I really liked what I was doing. So six months later, I enrolled full-time into a master's program because in Massachusetts, you can have a PhD, but you need a master's in education. <laughs> Um, So I got into education and um, that's where I've been. Uh, But in education also, I I took a strange detour. I uh, suddenly wanted to work with uh, students who had, uh, who, who needed extra support. So I actually began my teaching career as a special education teacher and I eventually wound up being the inclusion science teacher, the co-teacher, and then I started teaching full-time science. So it's it's been a, a convoluted journey, but um, yeah, science was the constant factor throughout. Um, so it was research that led me to teaching. Uh, a lot of people asked, have asked me why I didn't go into college teaching like I could have taught at the same time kept my lab position and uh, honestly the answer to that was that I met a wonderful person at that point in my life who kind of uh, um, encouraged me uh, with my passion to work with uh, students with disabilities Um, it was just a passion on the side you know it's literally like something you you have two different things that you really are very passionate about and uh, you know, one takes over at some point in your life and then it drops out of sight and then another one takes over. And that's just what happened. Um, uh, I have never made very practical decisions in my life. That was not those. I just left and I, you know, and then I've been teaching and I uh, don't regret it. No, I don't, I... Now I feel a little bad though when I see when, you know, through Harvard or through Lab Exchange, we used to go into the laboratories or some of my students are working in laboratories and they send me pictures and letters of what they do. And I'm like, oh, where did I leave? <laughs> but it's too late now. It's too late. I'm no, I yeah, no, it's not going to happen. I like teaching. I love it. So I'm, I'm happy where I am. So, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell where I've I've been wandering for 20 years now. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. More than that now. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's fun. I I enjoy where I am and I'm lucky. Um 
um, my uh, one of my very dear friends once said to me, who's also a very passionate teacher, and she said, aren't we lucky that we don't keep looking up at the clock and wondering, is it time yet? And we are in the reverse mode where we keep looking at the clock and going, oh my God, I still have so much more to do. What's going to happen? So <laughs> I like it. No, I'm okay. <laughs> but yeah, that is uh, a little bit of my past. Yeah, yeah. I, it 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 fills in some of the stories because, as I always say, I always go on and look and see about your background. And I and I saw that you had the background in special education when you started, and I, it makes yeah. a lot more sense. The it, it pulls the story together a little bit more. Um, yeah. But man, what a, what a gem for for Westboro to have you there. Um, Wandering through every possible educational <laughs> classroom. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I did that, but it was it was fun. Every every, I I honestly don't regret it. No, no, it yeah. was while well, it lasted. Yeah. Well, and the, the funny thing is, is that now I'm sure when you see uh, when you see the lab equipment and you see what people are working on, you're like, yeah, I don't know what half this stuff is anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we would we would sit at the gel counting bands, and mm -hmm. now like. If you say that to any of the people working in laboratories right now, they, they like you must have been really mad. Like, but that was all we could do. <laughs> we just, you know, or we. I, I remember sitting in a cold room overnight because my protein would be eluting any moment, and I couldn't let it be there at four degrees for longer than an hour. So I would sit over there looking at a column in the cold room at four degrees. Oh. So, yeah, it, those things don't happen nowadays. Everything is automated. It's so much more streamlined. It's fabulous. It's just well, fabulous. I, I did all this protein work, um, all this enzymatic work and in the 90s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, where I was in the lab and, you know, undergraduate lab, we, we yeah. wouldn't do gene sequences. We wouldn't do even, like, protein assays because while that equipment existed, they wouldn't let, like, you had to be yeah. really trained. Like that was PhD. That was postdocs. They would run yeah. those things. But, uh, but like, so I ran all of these spectrophotometer assays to get indirect mm -hmm. measurements of enzyme activity. Right. Like, like it was yeah. like three <laughs> steps away and you needed to be very clever about your science. Like how do mm -hmm. you get a reading? How do you get a measurement? But yeah. I now realize like all of the work I did like for like really two years of enzyme work Nobody yeah. in their right mind would do any of it. And it probably could all be done in about a two-month period now. <laughs> yep, yep. There's a machine for everything now. And yeah. uh, it's it's quick and it's good. And yeah, it's kind of, uh, yeah. It's, uh, biology, I feel, has moved to a, in, a, in a different direction now. It's uh, not so much about like uh, things which were important when I was in was working in science was your technique. Could you run a gel? Could you load a gel properly? Could you read a gel properly? Uh, you know, how good were your pipetting or your uh, buretting uh, hands or whatever? It's all irrelevant now. It, we have machines to do all of this. You really, I think it's more about data now. And be able to analyze data. And I, I think, Aaron, that's where I have a major regret. Like, I never took biostats seriously. Um, and, you know, I even when I teach it, I'm kind of like, I feel a little, I, I could be better. Mm. But, yeah. That, uh, but that's the way bio is going now, biological research. We really need to, you know, the whole systems part changing. 
changing. Yeah, I, I was, I was ranting, I think earlier this year to my students that I had to take several calculus courses, but no stats courses for my degree. And I just, I can't get over the fact that like yeah. they never made me like I, and I would have taken stats courses. It wasn't that, um, but to take a bit, to be a bio major, you had to take, you know, two calculus courses and to be a chem major, you yeah. had to take four calc courses, yeah. I think. Um, yes. <laughs> I, you, exactly. And I, I, and I, uh, as a biochemist, I frankly don't remember a lot of the calculus I learned and I've oh. never used it. It's whereas if I had learned statistics, it would have been quite useful right now, but oh well. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to do some summer classes on edX or something where I could kind of brush up on my statistical knowledge. Yeah, I took an edX course uh, when they when they first made the change to the AP. So gosh, this is like eight years ago. Um, uh-huh. It's still up. It's called I Heart Stats. Um, it's uh-huh. it's out it's out of Notre Dame, um, okay. and it's it's for it's a stats course. I want to say it's like for psych majors. Um, so it's like a really, and like an undergrad <laughs> um, thing. And I took it and I'll be honest, it was, it was great. It was a perfect summer stats course. Uh, you know, not a ton of work. It was a, you know, a few hours a week and practical applications yeah. and, and was a little bit more depth than I needed to get uh-huh. to there. Uh-huh. But it, it, um, and I knew several of the things, but it, it provided like an overarching sort of course context to how all the stats fit together. Um, and okay. it really boost it really boosted my confidence on statistical stuff um, as I okay. as I was taking on something that I, as you were mentioning, I didn't really have any training on it, but now it's a core part of AP. So um, yeah, how does it all exactly. fit together? Exactly. So it's I heart stats. Yep, Is I that- heart stats. If you go to uh, edX, and I'm pretty sure it's still. Um, it's still pretty much in there. So if you if you go okay. looking and you can't find it, send me a message. We'll I'll put it. I'll put it in okay. my show notes. Too. Definitely, definitely. I I will. Uh, yeah. There's there's actually another class I was looking at, and I I sort of have enrolled in it, but not really for the certificate. And something to do with biographs. So oh, yeah, yeah. have do you do you know anything about that? I know somebody who is taking it. Is that a, that's on like is that on edX or is it Coursera? Uh, it's edX. Oh, it's edX. Okay, I don't think I've yeah. seen the edX version of that, but I, I have yeah. seen people talking about that um, uh, as, as a platform for people to work on. It's, it's actually a program. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a simulation and an, and a, um, sort of a software where uh, you can actually have students look at population changes, enzyme activity, and I think I'm I'm still going to continue doing it because with all our online stuff, it might just be something useful if not for my ap bio at least for my um, regular bio students I don't yeah know. I'm, I'm pretty sure i saw brad williamson talking about that on one of the the biology boards on facebook and, and i actually okay. think my friend i think my friend Britt said that she had signed up for one of the cohorts on it um, okay as okay. well so yeah I, I knew there was a program and i knew that it had simulations involved um yeah and and so yeah i i I, I made a note of it. I think it's probably I don't know one of the five hundred sticky notes I have sitting around on my desk here. Um, yes, <laughs> check out the biograph thing, and I wrote biograph, but I thought I, I misheard it, so I'll definitely make sure I I'll yeah. add that in, and I'll put that in my show notes as well. I'll look up to see what those yeah. courses are. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, yeah. you alluded to your gypsy nature, and um, and I can remember sort of being shocked that we had spent the week together. Uh, 
working on a couple of videos and a couple of other things and some simulations and modules and other things like that. And then you were like, I'm like, are you going to be here for the second week? And you're like, no, I'm moving to Oregon. And I honestly <laughs> had no idea. All I knew is like, here's like this Westboro teacher who I've been working with and up there. So, so you mentioned a little bit about transitioning to Oregon. Uh, so mm-hmm. how has this transition from Massachusetts to Oregon gone? Uh, it, uh, it was hard at the beginning as expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I came from India and spent all my life until now in Westboro. So uh, even when I was working in the city, we lived in Westboro because we had great daycare and you know all of the life conveniences. Uh, so it, it's been my um, home ground, so to say. And leaving all of that, leaving your social network, your professional network, that was impossibly hard. But, you know, sometimes you have to make those uh, choices, like in the big picture, someone has to give up something. So it was very hard initially. I mean, I did not, did not, I just, I just couldn't think of living in Portland. But um, once we got over here, uh, it's a beautiful city. It's a very small, it's a, it, it, a city is a misnomer. It's actually a very s- large town. Uh, it's very laid back and it's absolutely gorgeous in terms of its nature. It's, it's just downright beautiful, like all year round. It's just beautiful. Uh, yes, it does have a rainy winter and you don't see the sun for about six months, but that's a different kind of beauty. You know, there's no snow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'm kind of settling down over here, but I think that I really started settling down over here when I finally got a job and uh, it seemed that I would be teaching again. I think I really missed that the most. Um, You know, it's a big part of my life, my work. Um, But, uh, you know, um, I ended up teaching in a private school, a private Catholic school and a private Catholic all-girls school. So that was a big change. It was uh, very interesting. Um, Completely different student populations, completely different set of dynamics when you're managing a classroom. And um, it was very difficult uh, initially being a new teacher. You know, after teaching in a particular school for 20 plus years, Mm. you forget what it is to be new. And you forget that people really don't know you and you don't come with a reputation, you're new. And that was uh, very interesting in terms of class management or just getting to know the culture of the school. Um, uh, I've I've, I've made big strides, I can say that, by the end of the year. And that is, I think, partly because I've been very lucky. Uh, it's a great school community. Um, it's not very big, but it's it's still about 650, 680, 700. That's the population range. Mm-hmm. Uh, the faculty is wonderful, uh, very friendly. And the focus I found was very different from Westboro. Westboro is a highly competitive, top-notch high school in Massachusetts. Yep. And St. Mary's is a competitive Top notch, very well known school in this part of the world, but it focuses more on um, an all round development of the young girl, of the young woman. Um, so the, the the it's it's a nuance, it's different. Like that, I I feel having lived in Massachusetts for so many years, that competitiveness, that edginess is not mm-hmm. there. It's not there. 
And yet the people who are here think of St. Mary's as being highly competitive. But for me, coming from Westboro, I find the nuance a little nicer, softer. It's not as edgy. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you know, um, it's it's been good. I, I think I like it here. It's uh, We're settling down, we're making friends. The job has been a, a pleasure. Um, but I do miss Harvard and I do miss Amgen and Lab Exchange and uh, haven't found similar opportunities. Was hoping to do something in the spring, but I guess it's all now history. <laughs> Everything was circuited by Corona. So yeah. I could say I could say that's what we could just like well, the entire episode can be just that in a loop. Everything we had planned for the spring <laughs> is gone. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's just, um, yeah. I mean, what was I thinking in February? And here I am in June, and it's like, oh, I never got to that, did I? Never did. So yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I was joking. It's, I was joking with people that I had sort of, I, because you know, my background is, you know, has sort of refell in love with you know, uh, epidemiology and virology. And I, I loved it from the beginning, wow. but I'd sort of really fallen, re-fallen in love with it the last few years. Um, because I, a few years ago I had done the, uh, American Association of Immunology summer fellowship where they help you partner with a lab and then design some curriculum around your work. Uh-huh. And so I got really interested, particularly in microbiology. And I started listening to some microbiologists and epidemiologists. So the, 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 you know, now that it's a pandemic, virology was on my radar. Um, right. And I can remember listening to podcasts back in January and in February where they were talking about it. And I would say in February is when I really started to like, my ears really started to perk up. And the news, like in the science world in February, was really focused on this might be the thing. This might be a pandemic this might really be like and um and i started talking about it in my ap classes um and Uh even though that was the case i still was planning my spring like anybody Uh else so some of my students are some of my students are like you were so smart you saw this coming and i was like yeah kind of i did but at the same time i still like planned out things that i thought were going to happen that never happened because who could have seen everything shutting down? And the answer was certainly not me, even though I, I was fascinated by the virology and the epidemiology and I could see the case numbers yeah. and, and I was paying attention from a science standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. The non-science implications were were way beyond what I, I could have imagined. So, Absolutely. I, I would have also never thought that the world would come to a standstill. I mean, you know, very dramatically speaking, but that's essentially what happened. We just got frozen in time and I never thought that would happen um just didn't because I I remember uh, it was March 10th three days before we went we went underground so to say and I was at my physical therapy appointment and we would you know and you're a viral you're you, you have a deep interest in virology and we you know we were actually looking up uh, uh information and you know um COVID, corona is highly infectious, but it's uh, not the, uh, its mortality is way less than that of even flu. So yeah. it, you know, we, I, I remember my physical therapist and me, both of us interested in talking, we're saying, ah, I'll, I'll see you next Monday and we'll be fine. No, no, no. And here we are. And, you know, it was just, um, 
it's kind of funny. It did change our life. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is that it's not, yeah, I mean, I don't know that we know how, how deadly it is. Um, so I'm, I'm like, I mean, you just said that and I was like, eh, I probably, uh, maybe like, I don't know. Um, from a contagious yeah. standpoint, it certainly yeah. is there. Um, what yeah. I would say is that for certain people, uh-huh. it is, it is far more deadly. Um, and the, the thing that's more important to think about, whether it's more deadly or less deadly than flu for me uh-huh. is that it's a hundred percent novel. Which means yeah. nobody in the population had any immunity to it. So we're you might be right. It may be that like, you know, exposure, like if you get exposed to it younger in your life and you develop a little bit of immunity, it won't yeah. be deadly. And then like ten years from now when, you know, eighty percent of the world has already been exposed, it'll have a very low right. death rate because there'll be a lot of immunity out there and it and it's not there. And seasonal flu, you know, there's always a little bit of residual immunity yeah. we've got vaccines and stuff like that but the, problem, yeah. the fact is it's so it's so novel that if you have you know cardiovascular issues if you ha- if you're elderly if you've got any of those the predispositions there's nothing that can prep you or prep your immune system to prevent this from happening right as of right now right right and and, and i think it's also uh, it's uh, a, a, a large swaths of our population are also immunocompromised for various mm. reasons. Um, I mean, the use of biologics has gone up for a variety of, it, it used to be, you know, far and few, but now all kinds of disorders are being treated with biologics. And I, that's kind of a little, maybe that's a factor. I don't know. Yeah. We, it's... <laughs> Oh, there's right. there's so much fa- there's so much fascinating science that's going to come out of yeah. this, um, but yeah. it but as you and I both know, um, the the pace at which scientific discoveries are hammered out is not as fast as everybody will want. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and that's true. Yeah, yeah. People keep people keep asking me things, and I'm like, well, I don't know about that. And they're like, they're like, oh, yeah. well, if we, if everyone just wears a mask and, and goes to school, it'll be fine. And I was like, sure. What I want you to do is I want you to walk into a chemistry classroom where uh-huh. everyone is supposed to wear a goggles 100 percent of the time, and you tell me how compliant they are. Um, yeah. All right. Now what I want you to do is go out in the world. How people are? How good are people going to be with those masks? Um, yes. Um, I, I, I was, yeah, I was out doing some groceries yesterday and uh, in, in a part of Portland, uh, in one of the suburbs of Portland, where, which is apparently in phase two. So they're way ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there were people there, uh, first of all, not socially distancing themselves, not mm-hmm. being careful about it and not wearing a mask. And I was like, why would you do that? Why? It hasn't gone. Yeah. It's still, I mean, it, it's never going to go now. It's here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, it, it, people, science doesn't seem to appeal to some people. It's just <laughs> what it is. Perhaps it's too rational and too logical. I, I don't know. So yeah. I understood that. Well, and I, I think that that's, you know, we sort of allude to that, that I think, you know, a lot of people are trying to make plans for what's going to happen in the fall. And, you know, yeah. there, there, it's hard to say, um, but, particularly in Massachusetts, the thing that, that keeps me like really hesitant about making any sort of projections is that while the numbers in Massachusetts, um, Massachusetts being pretty hard hit, 
um, yeah. in terms of states. Like, cause we, we had a lot of cases and yes. you know, Middlesex, Middlesex County where I teach, you know, um, mm-hmm. in, in Acton had, you know, a lot of deaths. Um, it really touched the lives of, of, of people in, in the community where I teach. Oh. And, and so, um, and you know, a lot of illnesses and the number of people who as, you know, Acton and Westboro are actually not that different in terms of, you know, how yeah. far away they are from Boston and a lot of the other features, yeah. a lot of the people from Acton and Boxborough go into the city. And so they're connected to universities yeah. and to hospitals and stuff like that. So it's, it's something that's very present. And I think that um, when you go into those communities where people have been touched and are not too many deg- you know, steps away from people who've been impacted by the virus, you see really high compliance of social distancing and mask wearing and that sort of stuff. But the fact yeah. is, is in, in the fall, the number yeah. of colleges and universities from uh, that are in this area, people are going to come yeah. from all over the world to come back. Right. And yep. we shut everything down, sent all the kids home, closed all of the schools, shut most of the businesses. And we were still having hundreds of deaths a day, yeah. you know, in Massachusetts. Yeah. And so, yes. yes, the numbers are really good right now. And I think the yeah. compliance is really good. And we're not going to see things in the summer. But the prospect of opening things back up and letting everyone come from all over the, all over the United States in particular, and in a lot of places yeah. where the numbers are now worse than they, they, they are in Massachusetts because exactly. people aren't distancing yeah. and they're not doing that. Like, that's the part that's the unknown that I, I can't wrap my head around mm-hmm. what the mm-hmm. fall is going to look like when students Absolutely. descend back on New England, particularly around yeah. Boston. Yeah. Um, and then there's also this whole, uh, I, I'm not sure how much truth there is to it. But I, 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 I haven't read about it. It's the whole uh, effect of temperature on the virus and that the summer months would see, uh, I, uh, because I'm, uh, I, my family is from India mm-hmm. and India has been very hard hit. And the temperatures yeah. in India right now are anywhere from 28 to 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah. And there are hot zones within the city. And I I mean, I come from a family of doctors, so I I get the information from them. Um, And they're like, yeah, I mean, the temperature is doing nothing to the virus. Um, Kind of scary what's happening, Um, you know, uh, uh, whether social distancing in the fall is going to make a difference or are we going to get the next, um, um, you know, peak before yeah. we even start, I, I I don't know. It's it's very worrisome, and I, I think what you said right at the beginning was uh, you know this is just draft one of version <laughs> one. We just yeah. take it one day at a time because um, you don't know what's going to happen next. It's kind yeah. of fun to do that. Yeah, and the the numbers when you like when you go into his, history and you go and look at the numbers. Oh, a good friend of mine is a history teacher, and he will like mm-hmm. send me these things, and he should, sends me these graphs of the nineteen eighteen flu pandemic that show uh-huh. this like what looks like at the time this big bump of cases, and that's yeah. just the first bump, and then it's like you know twenty five fold of that came back in October the next year. And he's like, is this what we're in for? And I was like, yeah, I don't think it's ever going to go down like you've projected. So it's, I mean, and, but this isn't the same. This isn't the flu. The flu does tend to drop down in the warm months. Common cold does drop down. It's not, but it's, it's not, it's a, it's a pattern. It's not magic. Um, And and the, the factors that are the transmissibility of this virus compared to that of, of the flu, they're quite yeah. different. Yes, it is huge. So the 
I remember reading the R value is close to two. Yeah. And that is highly infectious. It's yeah. highly transmissible. It's um, uh, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, it, it it's just unfortunate how it has impacted, uh, you know, our professional life. Um, it's just yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. As I, I have often said, though, I would, you know, we'll, we'll take this to, um, I keep telling my, whenever I get on my phone, I've probably talked to my mother on the phone more in the last few months than I had in the previous 10 years, because um, I called to check on her and uh, mm-hmm. on a regular basis. But um, I was saying, like, yeah, it's disruptive, but death is also very disruptive. So don't go outside. And when you do go yeah. outside, wear your mask. And um, and so, you know, we're likely we're likely all going to get this at some point. But when I get yeah. this, I want it to be that they've worked the therapeutics out, and yeah. that there are yeah. hospital beds. And yes, you know, th- those Absolutely. are the those are the hopes. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, it, it's not it's not a case I think I think it's going to be a case of we might be lucky and we might get a vaccine but knowing how fast vaccines get turned out um, mm-hmm. I just want them to work the therapeutics out I'm definitely in the therapeutics uh, yes <laughs> I, 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 I think I agree with you on that I, I'm definitely yeah <laughs> yes but it but again like you said because you know the science behind it uh, you know it's not going to happen soon mm-hmm. so in the meantime, it becomes uh, really critical that we um, be sensible. Like it's not just about you know washing your hands; it's about uh, not collecting, not getting too close, and wearing that mask. It is known to make a difference. It does, um, yeah. It's just uh, people don't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to something that's uh, that's that's uh, equally uh, terrible. Um, no, yeah. I don't know that it's equally terrible, but it's definitely uh, equally equally timely. Um, and we were talking about this a little before I started recording. But you know, mm-hmm. um, so like, how are you doing mentally, emotionally? We've had like a crazy, uh, you know, a crazy spring here yeah. uh, with yeah. distance learning. Um, and I know between uh, my conversations with my students over the last month have been both about distance learning and science, uh, but I've also been talking a lot about, um, you know, anti-racist teaching with my colleagues and with my students and that sort of stuff. It's, we have been, you know, walloped by uh, complex issues that we're helping our students navigate through. And then we're also navigating ourselves. So I guess start by like, how are you doing (laughs) like mentally, emotionally, those sort of things. And then how's it going with your kids? I, 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 uh, our school had a system in place. Um, there, there was there was some a lot of uh, uh, planning put into it, starting in December itself, because uh, mm. you know it was coming, it was coming, it was coming. And being a private school and a smaller school, so we uh, like when we went online on March thirteenth, starting March thirteenth, we already had our individual WebEx rooms. We use WebEx in our school mm-hmm. or Microsoft Teams, not Zoom. Zoom mm-hmm. is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we uh, structurally, uh, we sort of, and we had even planned a schedule. So we, of course, which we had to tweak mm-hmm. as the days went on. But um, we sort of got into a rhythm quickly and we managed to keep a lot of stuff going but uh, you know uh, like everything else uh, the novelty of the situation wore off very quickly uh, and it wore off really quickly on all of our students um, I, the, the striking thing that I got back from my students which really made me very sad was 
uh, yes, we would meet on WebEx. We could see each other. They could call me in whenever they, you know, like there were no hours left. Like they, the day extended. Mm-hmm. And um, however, they they were really struggling because uh, uh, two things. One was they were missing the um, unstructured social time that is a part of being in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And I was missing that because... You know, like if I had them share out, we were just talking to each other. If we were working together on solving a problem in chemistry, we were learning how to balance equations. And so there was none of that. Hey, you know, I'm going and walking around the classroom, sitting down, talking that really pulled me down. Like it it really affected me. And I could see that my students were also like, I mean, everyone tried to be upbeat about it. Oh, but we can still see you and we can talk to you and this is great. And then there'd be a student who'd call me after hours and say, I I really wanted you to just kind of sit down with me and talk to me and talk me through this. And, you know, those nuances of teaching, they were gone. They were, they're, they're gone. The, and we really missed those. And then, of course, uh, into all of this is the fact that uh, here in St. Mary's biology is a senior class. It's the reverse. It's a physics first kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had all the seniors and that was another trauma that we had to deal with together. They had none of their end of the year activities, none. Everything was online. Graduation was online. I mean, yes, you know, teachers and staff, we went around and put, uh, delivered, home delivered their graduation gown and everything else, but they didn't really have a baccalaureate. They didn't have a senior assembly. And so it was all, emotionally, it was a very taut period is the way I would describe that. Um, but, Academically, I felt quite okay. Uh, Once we, as a school, made a decision that we're really not going to get through everything that we would have normally gotten through, and Mm -hmm. we set ourselves uh, reasonable expectations. Uh, But that's where, again, I mean, you you have taught AP Bio. This was my first year teaching AP Bio. I was just... I, I didn't know what to do. There was there was no question of not doing all the curriculum in AP um, until much later when we came to know. But it was just um, uh, you know it was it, it became a balancing act. It became very um, um, much tighter than it would have been had had we been physically in a school. So it, it, it it's I think what pulled us through was. Uh, some of our students, have, some of my students were really very upbeat through all of this. Um, they kept the communication lines open. And I think I have to t- thank technology for that, um, really. And I I also recognize that if I am so uh, emotionally overwhelmed by this, my students must be much worse off i'm supposed to be the adult in the situation so i did keep my lines open so i had calls coming in you know like two hours after class had ended like can i can you just pop on for a minute i have a quick question so you know technology did help i would say in that case and then of course came this whole um uh countrywide uh, um you know, churning that is happening finally, if you ask me. Um, And um, I had a lot of, I had several students of color and um, it was, um, you know, 
I think that that this has been the hardest for me to um, cope with. I um, I consider myself also a woman of color because I'm not white, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not black either. And excuse me for being very blunt about this. And yeah. you know, I have suffered some of the transgressions, but you know, occasionally, like once in a while, I will meet a person who you know potentially will ask me questions like, uh, "Do you know English?" and uh, you know, "Go back to your country" or whatever. Some random person on the street. But I haven't. To, I don't have to deal with it system systemically, mm-hmm. which uh, was a big eye opener for me. Like I had all of these events that have been occurring have really uh, opened my eyes to the fact that the microaggressions, the minor events that have happened in my life, are a way of life for a certain group of people. And I think we need to bring that to the fore. We need to. Uh, and I don't know how. I don't know how. I, I don't know how to do it. And I'm really struggling with the how, how, what do we do now? What are our next steps? Um, it's it's going to be something more than just having, you know, uh, group sessions or it, it, it's got to be something more. And I, as a teacher, my, my mind goes, first of all, um, to the consistent discrepancy that you see in the performance, academic performance of students of different um, uh, groups, if I may say so. And uh, having been in special education and having had several of these students in my classes, I think the first thing that we have to do is to uh, really improve, work upon, um, and increase the availability of supports for some students. It, it's necessary. They don't have to be on an IEP. They don't have to have a diagnosed disorder. You just need to provide more um, structures in place or uh, which will kind of help them reinforce their learning. Mm. It's. Uh, I think we are not doing that as teachers. And, and for me, that is a starting point. And I mean, this is just something that I've started thinking about very recently. And I think that could that could be an actionable item, you know. On the one hand, I'm horrified by what has been happening. I am, uh, like everyone else, emotionally raw about what's happening. But as a teacher and just as a science person, and I, you know, you can correlate with this, we're just rational, logical beings. There has to be something actionable. There has to be a solution-based uh, uh, movement. And in my little world, I'm wondering if that is a tiny step I could take. Like, I, I don't know how to, I mean, I'm just, it, it's it's a forming idea in my head, but I think actionables are required. We it's not just talking about it anymore. We 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 need to do something now in our own little way. I mean, I I, I don't know what what will happen at the state level or the federal level, and I really don't care. I I mean, I think as a classroom teacher, I can do something in my classroom, and I'd like to know what I I need help on that. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that for me, the the biggest thing and, you know, as I, I speak, as I often say to my students, like I, I am I am not wealthy. But other than that, I could not have more privilege. Like literally the only way that I could, you know, be more privileged is if somebody gave me giant stacks of money um, because yeah. I am, you know, a, you know, a, a, a cisgendered middle aged white man like uh, I am. I'm sort of default. Yeah. Um, and I do not yep. see structural barriers. There have been no 
structural barriers to to me in my life. Nobody saying that I did. There was no space that was cordoned off where people thought it was inappropriate for me to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, aside from possibly some like gender normative stuff that happened. Yeah. Um, like the fact that when I became a teacher, everyone asked me when I was going to go into administration because teaching is such a female profession and, you know, I'm so um, and that's something I pointed out a lot to people and it took me years to realize, no, no, I want to be a teacher, but they viewed men as like teaching as a, was sort of historically been a woman's profession. It's like nursing, you know, and so Uh when you go into it as a man, the question you get a lot as a man is uh-huh. like when are you going to go into administration? Um, oh. um, huh. But that's not really oppression. That's like people expecting me to take on leadership roles. But like that's not oppression. That's just you know ex- people's expectations and that sort of stuff. But the reality is is that um, we're at a moment where people seem to be ready to have this conversation, um, yeah. and so we need to just take advantage of that conversation opportunity. Like we we now have this opportunity to say, hey we realize we live in a world that is structurally set up to oppress people and to close doors on people and to not provide opportunities. It's time to question all those things. And so it feels like it's a moment where as somebody who often questions yeah. you know, things like grades, you know, I'm always been somebody who has been tracking, like we have very heavy tracking in our schools, uh-huh. you know, the, okay. and I, I've pointed out like, yeah. so if you come in as a freshman in our school, and you yeah. are not in the honors level as a freshman. Yep. Yep. You don't take you don't take AP science in our school. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. yes. It just doesn't happen. So that means that your ability to do science as a 13-year-old dictates yeah. a ceiling for you. Yeah. When you go through school. And the question is why is that? And how do we how do yeah. we work to make it so that those structures that we have systemically put in place yes disappear and you could say well those aren't overtly those aren't overtly racist policies mm-hmm. or sexist policies but the fact of the matter is is that if you look at our demographics well mm-hmm. you'll notice that you know the 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 students who are and in our school it comes across much more in economic terms mm-hmm. um, yeah. as in town of means um, that from an economic standpoint, and there are some racial standpoints, and also first language. If you are a student mm-hmm. who getting language support in our school, um, yes. you are much less likely to be taking honors classes. Yes. As a freshman, yes. Which means Absolutely. that if you are an emerging language learner, that there are doors that have been closed to you in a few short years where you're not going to be able to take the top science courses in our school. And, yeah. and now that we're at a moment, I, I have... I have raised some of these issues before, but I've become even more aware of some of them as we've had these conversations about what's going on. They've become even more, um, they're more raw. Like these, these inequities are now more raw and it's, it's, it's hard and it's uncomfortable, but there, there's enormous power in that discomfort. And if we will, if we don't want to sit in this discomfort, we have two options. We could continue to ignore it or we could fix it. And yeah. it finally feels like people are in a place where they want to fix it. Where they want to, yeah, it it, it actually does. And I'm just like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it's time this gets fixed. At least we begin to try to fix it. 
and yeah. we own up to wanting to fix it. Um, I, I think that's the first uh, big uh, step. Yeah. But it's it's going to be. Um, I did find, however, Aaron, that uh, my first year at St. Mary's, uh, you know, an all girls Catholic school with a tradition of two hundred years, the only all girls school in Oregon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it it, it draws upon primarily a, a white population of a particular kind, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but there are, uh, you know, students of color and there are students coming from very diverse backgrounds. And um, what I had a couple of students say to me was uh, very um, empowering for me because they shared with me how it was kind of wonderful to see a woman of color teaching them. Okay. And being in a position where she actually knows science, and you know, and sh- they they said it it gave them a sense of uh, comfort and a sense of uh, like, so it's possible. I actually yeah. had a girl say that to me, and I I had never thought of myself like that. Um, you know, I, I I come from a privileged family, but from a privileged family in India, so it had never crossed my mind that there could be barriers, and then. When I came here, it was for education, for higher education. So, you know, you end up meeting people who are very highly educated mm. um, and have a wider worldview or perspective on different matters. And when I hear such things from young girls, it really makes me, it, it made, you know, it made me empowered that, oh, I could actually maybe do something about this. Um, something I'd never thought that I would play a role in. So it was, yeah, very, um, a, a, a young lady particularly brought up a very specific incident, which is really funny. She, her parents are of Indian origin. And so she has a very, very Indian name, um, with which of course I was very familiar because I'm from India. <laughs> so the first day I'm taking attendance and um, I, I don't stumble over her name at all, Right. So she said, when when that happened, I just looked up and I was like, you know how to say my name. Wow. And then there were a couple of other names which were of, uh, uh, you know, I didn't know how to say them. I think one of them was a French name and I didn't know where to put the accent. Uh-huh. And I struggled with it. And she shared this with me on on the last day of school. And she said, I, I was I was like, yes, power to me, because you said my name perfectly. And one of the usual names you struggled with. And I was just I went home and I laughed. She said, I said, OK, if you know, but, you know, little things like that could make a difference or something I wasn't aware of. And I'm glad I got the feedback that I did, because now I will, you know, sort of think of myself a little differently. Yeah. I, I mean, re- the, the, the phrase is representation matters. Um, yeah. and it, it matters a lot. And I think, you know, it's funny that you don't see yourself that way because, you know, and I, I know I've said this to, um, you know, other women who I've uh, in science, um, particularly uh, women who are, are either Indian or Chinese, like you look more like my students than I look like my students um, in a lot of my AP <laughs> yeah. classes. Like yeah. I, I, I have a lot more students who who have family backgrounds. Um, and yes, I, I, I work on the names and pronunci- pronunciations and that sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. 
I find it ironic that you're talking to me, who could not have a more French Canadian last name, uh, that you yeah. struggled with the French name. So, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, it it was just I, I I what was the name I I forgot, and then of course the as I'm struggling through the name, the young lady stands up and says, "You can just call me," and she gave me a very abbreviated version, something like Abby or. Yeah. something completely unread. I was like, you should have said this. I was in my head going, you should have said this before <laughs> instead of me trying to, you know, and, and as, as a teacher, you know, you, you are so particular. Um, you don't want to say someone's name wrong. No. It somehow matters. As a teacher, yeah. it matters to me. I do not want to say someone's name wrong. That's not okay. Um, so, it, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's been an interesting year. <laughs> it's going to be a year to think about a lot and remember it for a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> so in a, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I feel like the year kind of broke a lot of people. But just because you get broken doesn't mean that you can't get put back together a little bit. So I feel, yeah. I feel like it, it broke a lot. It broke a lot of things that um, I know that culturally we hold dear in terms of our school that I saw like disappear, like all of a sudden grades disappeared from our school like our, we had the super driven academic gpa da, 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 and like all of a sudden like we became this pass fail school and it was like if you had come to us and said in november hey in three months four months everybody's going to abandon grades and just be hoping that kids show up you'd be like yeah, yeah right that's not gonna happen <laughs> but yeah we it happened so it did. It did. It did. Yeah. Yes. All yeah. right. Well, I, I, I think this has been, I, I mean, super illuminating, but I'm going to try to get us towards the exit here as we move on. Yeah. And, this, and um, I ask you, what do you, so now that you're, you're going to be like, you're not your new year, you're not a new teacher anymore. Um, uh-huh. And you can, you can push this off. You can pretend that we're, this is starting three years from now when we're actually going back to school, but what are you looking forward to? in your classroom um, now that you're establishing yourself in, in this new community? Uh, so um, I'm looking forward to some good teaching. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, have got to know the students. I'm getting to know the culture of the school. Um, uh, I just got my AP roster for next year and uh, I know more than half the class. So it's kind of like a comfortable, oh, okay, these are good uh, you know, I'm going to have some fun with these kiddos. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, and I'm going to allow myself uh, to be representative of some of these women. Yes. I never thought I was. And I think that's been a little bit of an eye opener for me. Um, yes. Yeah, I definitely yeah, And I'm just, I'm actually, uh, you know, scared. Uh, about what's going to happen <laughs> but I'm also excited because it's going to be something dramatically different is what I feel yeah. so hey, new things to learn bring it on <laughs> yeah. um, make it work we'll make it work somehow yeah I am, I'm, I'm giving myself permission to like once we finish the AP read I'm, I'm giving myself permission to take a full week off where I don't I try not to think about school and I don't, I mean, I think, you know, me as somebody from the Amtrak yeah. community, I don't really, I have like two speeds. They're like on and off and off is sleeping. Yes. Um, so like when I'm on, I'm on and I'm always working and I'm always churning out a curriculum and I'm always doing that, but I'm, I'm intentionally going to take a step away uh-huh. um, and try not to like give myself a space of a week where I do not 
think, try not to write anything, create any curriculum, just really take a true step away um, to try to let myself have that reset period of reflection so that I will bring back some fresh eyes and and really kick up. Um, But it's, I I think that you're right that we're, we're heading into something that's going to be new and very much the mindset we bring into it is going to really shape not only how we survive the year, um, yes. because like, if we go in with this mindset yes. of like being all tense and nervous and worried and they're like, it's going to make the year really hard on us. But beyond that, what is it going to project to those kids that we're going to be trying to shepherd through the year? Yeah. Um, yes. so I want to make sure I get myself into a really positive, like space yes. where yes. I, I let like all the tension from the last few months that I've been, you know, trying to productively work through, but still work through. <laughs> let as much of that go and then really you like get myself ready geared up but in a in set in the right mindset so that i'm that i'm excited and i it's not hard for me to get excited but um i I do feel like if i let the weight of uh all of the stuff from the last few months come with me uh i may not be able to come in as fresh Um, no i i agree with you i agree those are really wise words aaron really wise words we yeah it's you know the three months that just happened were we were just thrown into it um the next year we know is going to happen so i think yeah a pause reset and change of attitude (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah so what when you're not in the classroom and you're you know not yelling at people for not wearing masks um (laughs) what do you what do you like to do what are you not doing I, I like to read. I'm a reader. I like to read, 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 read. Um, uh, I also like to walk a lot, which has been affected, impacted a little negatively because I'm having some serious knee issues. Mm. But um, yeah, I, um, I'm i just a chill, find me under a tree with a book <laughs> person. <laughs> yeah, that's what I really like to do. And um, maybe after a a week or so I'll start catching up like you said on getting back into biology yep. <laughs> nothing wrong with that plenty of reading that can be done that that hits biology yeah. um yeah. And especially when you walk around there because I know you're it's verdant it's it's very easy to get lost in the the biology mm-hmm. around you yes um, it's beautiful it's beautiful if you ever come, come this side please do come visit it's just <laughs> yeah it's beautiful yeah I have a it's I have one of my one of my very good friends from high school is out in that area. He's married and has a, uh-huh. a relatively uh, young family um, okay. uh, out there. So yeah, Oregon would be on my list, but I would, you know, I don't know. I, I would go out there and I would say, I'm going to go see friends, but I would just go to all the breweries. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> and now the wineries, the breweries and the wineries, they're yeah, all here. Yeah. I just, I just go to the breweries. I'm a- Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I can help you out with that i have a list of places that you must go to which oh, yeah. you won't find yeah yeah i, I know them. i know the i know the bruin scene out there too so uh okay oh, <laughs> i'll nice. put it on my list so when we're yes. allowed to travel i'll put oregon on my yes. list <laughs> I know. yes all right absolutely. before before we get yeah. to pics of the episode do you have any questions for me um no, I, I've been asking you questions. So no, I just, uh, yeah, it's it's been so much fun talking with you. Yeah. yeah. 
what people don't know is that I like I we hooked up and immediately you started barraging me with questions before we started recording. So yeah, you got all your questions out pre-recorded. Ah! <laughs> no, it's funny. It's, as I said, it, it, this is this is what happens. I think uh, a couple episodes ago, I had on uh, I had uh, John Maddox and John and I had met at a workshop uh, uh-huh. like four or five years ago. Like it, like we met at a, a a workshop in Baltimore and we'd seen each other at the time and the same exact thing happened. Like somebody who I know through various yeah. professional things and we've we've chatted a handful of times in, in professional settings and like I think the yeah. combination of being old friends and knowing each other yeah. professionally and the fact that we don't we haven't seen any people for the last three months, like <laughs> you, get on, <laughs> you get on with somebody yeah. and you're like, oh let's talk about <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. So I I think it's like it's even it's more exacerbated by the situation. All right, but that's fine. That's great. We've had I I I, we got we got real deep on this episode, so I am I am fine. I think I think you did ask me plenty of questions, and um, there's a lot of reflection. Okay, so now that you don't have questions for me, uh, we can get to picks the episode, uh, and you have uh, put a couple in here. So what are your picks? Um, yeah, let me take a look at that. Uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, huh. Oh, uh, there is no scientific basis for race. It is a made up label. I'm absolutely going to make my AP kids read that. It is amazing. Uh, it's a great article. Um, just, um, you know, um, talking about the genetics of race, talking about the fact that uh, how race is used in today's world, whereas how it doesn't mean anything in biology. Um, it's, it's, it's simply a fabulous article. I just read it two days ago, and um, it, I'm absolutely, in fact, I was just tempted to add it to my summer work, and then I was like, um, no, maybe not. Maybe this is something we can start class with when they show up. Um, the first one was uh, the costs and benefits of living with predators. Mm. It it caught my eyes because this person, I forget his name now, uh, George, well, whoever, he has come up with a model to, um, you know, where, you know, the ecology, we know all of it. You know, we know all about, uh, uh, you know, the trophic cascades and the, the otter on the Pacific Northwest and the most well-studied groups and whatever. And then he has linked it to the economics of human civilization. And he's trying to create a model where can you kind of uh, uh, come to a place where you can uh, keep the environment in its optimal place and also maintain a decent economic counterbalance to that because you know why what happens if we don't let the kelp die how does it and he's actually like playing with numbers so mm. i haven't read the article completely but i just found that very interesting like i i and and the reason for my interest is again i have a lot of students because i teach regular biology these are seniors who are certainly not going to become doctors or are going to go into biological research they're doing biology because it's a requirement some of them <laughs> but they are so talented in other ways and i kind of try to always impress upon them that you know, your study and your knowledge of biology is, it's not just, I said, you know, you can forget what that particular muscle is called and you can find it on Google. But the, you know, the the way of thinking and the way of connecting different things, I said, that's what you learn from this class. And they get very interested, like, 
you know, genetic counseling, now, epidemiology. That was a big thing right now. Everyone yeah. wanted to talk about it. And, you know, these are students who have other, and, and that's when, you know, kind of, uh, that's really what caught me into this article. I was like, oh, integrating ecology with economics. And he has a model. And I can see, stu- like, I already have students in my mind who would really like to do this. Yeah. So the, it's, it's a good article. And, of course, I'm reading The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Mm. Um, uh, I would highly recommend, um, I'm sure you've seen it, or if you haven't, uh, yeah. 13th, the documentary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, those are my picks for this yeah, week. All, you are all over the place. Um, <laughs> in there, you got, you got, you got, you've got books. You've, you, you actually uh, put in a documentary that's not even in your list here. <laughs> yeah. You've got an article yeah. and you've got another article on biology. Um, as you were talking about the the first pick, the uh, there's no scientific basis for race. Um, yeah. There, there recently, um, uh, one of the podcasts I listened to, and I listen to a ton of podcasts, uh, but one of them mm-hmm. is called Inquiring Minds, um, uh-huh. and it's hosted yeah. by a uh, a neuroscientist um, out of the San Francisco area. Um, and okay. her last episode was uh, she had on uh, a guy who is a I think he's in medical residence um, now, and mm-hmm. he had written a, a long, uh, th- I think it was a Twitter thread that it was this, with, they kept talking about, and it was the history of structural racism in medicine um, that he documented oh. from his training, and like all kinds of different concepts that were in there. And as you were talking about this idea, it was a lot of the a lot of the points that you were bringing up were very much what he was talking about that the way people use race in a lot of ways like just in 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 unconscious in in unconscious ways makes it appear that the that humans of different races represent barely overlapping populations when in fact we are heavily overlapped circles with slight variants that stick out and the differences between us are smaller than the differences of the communities that we define as races. Um, yes. So like if you look Absolutely. at the diversity of people in North America of all of the groups that we've called in different races, the fact uh-huh. is, is that we're, there's less diversity there than if you were to look at all the people in the continent of Africa. Like the continent yes. of Africa is enormously genetically diverse, yeah. but not because they represent different races, just because they represent, um, you know, evolutionary yeah. time. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there are whole sections of uh, populations in Africa who never left. Mm. So the the diversity is huge. They yeah. they they never migrated. So it's kind of uh, yeah. But, but the, the, I, I keep coming up against in this article and in another one that I read is uh, the whole thing about the medical field, which talks about why race is important in terms of, uh, you know, the uh, predisposition to certain disorders. And, you know, I just, it, it really bothers me because nobody is really teasing out the factors of uh, socioeconomic, mm-hmm. uh, cultural, uh, geographic location, uh, and just attributing it to race. I mean, there's a correlation, but there's no causation there. So yeah. what what is race then? I, yeah. I I, I mean, yeah, it just needs to go away. We're a human race and leave it at that and forget about everything. <laughs> well, and I, you said you hit a lot of it, the socioeconomic, and uh, as I think we've been aware of it, if you live your entire life fighting against structural racism, um, you might have higher blood pressure. Uh, you know, like if you live in a system that is like structurally oppressive, 
um, exactly. that then you were going to have certain medical issues. And there are a be- there have actually been a lot of articles that have been put out that talk about the 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 health effects of racism, um, and that racism has like you know these very yeah. clear cut medical implications for people who are oppressed. Um, yeah. And and historically, I think you're right that those things have been attributed to be some sort of racial difference and not yeah. a cultural difference. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. So my yeah. picks are sort of of a similar vein. Um, uh-huh. Actually, they, they touch they touch in there. So um, actually, I started by looking at uh, I was reading something else, and I kept on finding um, uh, links or references to an article uh, by Zoe Zamudi. And I could not actually find the article that I kept on being brought up, but I, I did find a lot of her work. <laughs> and so it, it led me to this, uh, it led me to this particular article, which is called the science and spectacle of the swarm. Um, and the, the general takeaway of this is that a lot of the language that we use in biology that we do not think of as having racial overtones has enormous yeah. racial overtones. Um, and she specifically in this article talks about like Africanized killer bees and like these invading, yes. invasive things that have come from someplace else, these non-domesticated invaders. Yeah. Um, yes. And it has oh, this. Yeah. yeah. When in fact they are no more like, by the way, the honeybee that we have is brought in um, and, yeah. <laughs> and the Africanized bees that we bring in are no more like aggressive than the bees that we that are the the European honeybees that we've brought in, um, but yep. we have decided to using um, coded language uh, demonize and otherize certain types of ecological groups, and it it has a spillback to the way we talk about people, um, and it's both that we otherize this natural world in a way that is distorted and inaccurate, but it also helps reinforce a lot of the cultural otherisms that we do in society. Um, and it was beautifully written. I think she is a one hell of a writer. Um, but I, I've heard a few different things about that. I was listening to uh, another interview earlier in the summer where somebody was talking about how we talk about invasive species and how like the, the language we use for invasive species is very problematic um, uh-huh. and that we need to maybe rethink the it made me rethink the question about whether or not um invasive species is an appropriate phrasing um or if it's otherizing you know is it uh is it what is it what does it mean to call something invasive and are we are we using coded language there where it's unintentional and i can only speak for myself i don't i don't mean to say something that i don't i'm not saying saying um yeah so yeah, and then along the same lines, uh, there was an article by uh, Mario Salas, which is uh, scientific racism, and it's looking back at the history of using things like eugenics and um, and mm-hmm. other, you know, ba- basically bad science uh, to help yep. uh, reinforce uh, racism. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a couple of things on my my to read list. Yeah, I actually um, uh, eugenics. I was. Uh, I, I don't know which article I was reading, but um, apparently eugenics was actually in textbooks, in mm, biology yeah. textbooks in the 20s or 30s or something. Some. I, I I did not know that. And I was like, whoa. So it was fairly legitimate. Like it was in a oh. textbook. 
Oh yeah, yeah. And so yeah, there's really some really fascinating things that go on back there. That like Cold Spring Harbors, where we think uh-huh. of Cold Spring Harbor, was actually yeah. had eugenics in its original title. It was like the Cold Spring Harbor Eugenics Laboratory or something like that. Uh, there were several major U.S. laboratories that had eugenics in the titles of the of the institutions and organizations, um, and there were many prominent uh, you know people who supported it. You know um, that. And honestly, if it wasn't for, you know, the, the backlash against Nazism, that you could make an argument that, that the U.S. was very much in line in that. I think it was something like it was over 30 states had uh, eugenic laws on the books where people could be sterilized against their will for meeting certain categories. Um, and in uh, the Supreme Court, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, in the case Buck v. Bell, uh, which uh-huh. was a, a challenging one of the eugenics laws, I think, believe it was the Virginia uh, eugenics laws, uh, penned the in his argument, um, uh, three generations of imbeciles are enough, um, upholding the eugenics laws of Virginia that allowed for forced sterilization for people who were deemed to have low IQs. So wow. not only was it in textbooks, it was codified in law. Um, wow. up to the Supreme Court. So yeah, this is now you, now you're getting into my wheelhouse of bioethics, which is <laughs> uh, where I can quote Oliver Wendell Holmes off the top of my head with no references. Uh, <laughs> um, I am a fountain of useless information, but um, uh, yeah, the, the eugenics stuff is um, it, it's ebbed and flowed in my curriculum over the times, but uh, you know, some years I brought it up, some years not. Um, it's starting to feel awfully relevant though. Uh, that that we need to start confronting, uh, we need to start confronting bad science. Um, and I didn't even get into Linnaeus. Uh, yeah, Linnaeus, <laughs> Linnaeus is super pro- Linnaeus is super problematic, which is something I've been I've been reading a couple of things about Linnaeus. Going, ooh, like not only was he into like sorting and separating, but Linnaeus wrote a lot about the races of people around the, the world, uh, which was very problematic. So, um, oh. <laughs> I'm after this is interesting. It is be, interesting. I'm taking notes as you're talking. Yeah, yes. L- Linnaeus Linnaeus certainly is problematic. And that's that's one of those ones I haven't I haven't found the resource that sort of highlights it enough for me yet, but uh I've gotten enough little tidbits on Linnaeus being problematic that I uh I'm gonna have to find a way to um expose a lot of bad science in the upcoming years as I as I improve my teaching. So wow, wow. Uh, All right, let me do my my credits really quickly. Uh, Please subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. It's on everything from Stitcher to Apple to Spotify. Uh, You can find it anywhere. Uh, If you want to support my episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash lots. Uh, I do release my show notes early to Patreons, a buck or two. Uh, a buck or two a month is goes a long way to help offset costs. And I give you a few days early release on my show notes. I also will post show notes up there and audio up there um, for all my Patreons early uh, music on this. Every episode is found uh, is provided by X magicians and Jake Jenkins, a uh, former student of mine. Uh, I also post up my show notes on life of the school.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew tweets or at life of the school. You can follow a new on Twitter at a new open skies. And that's in the show notes as well. So Anu, this was a great conversation. We went all over the place. Um, and it was, it was a great time. So, so thank you great. for joining me and um, I will thank talk you to very you. much for having me. Talk yeah. to everybody soon.